Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So this guy's walking down a street when he falls into a hole, and, and he, he can't seem to get himself out of the hole. He sees people walking by above him on the street, but nobody will stop. Nobody can help him. Well, eventually he, he looks up and he sees this doctor come by, and he says, hey, doc. Hey, hey, Doc, it's, it's me, it's John. I'm down here. I'm kind of stuck in a situation. I can't get myself out. Can you give me a hand? And the doctor said, we, yeah, of course I can. He pulls out his pad, writes a great prescription, and drops it into the hole. A few minutes later, another person passes by, and then another. And eventually, John looks up, and he sees, well, he sees his pastor. And he says, hey, Rev, look, hey, I'm stuck down here. Could you, could you give me a hand? I can't get out. And the... The reverend, the minister said, yeah, sure I can. No problem. Takes out a piece of paper, writes down a great prayer. He even adds a couple of scripture verses at the end, rips it off, drops it in the hole, and moves on. Some time passed, and then eventually John saw his friend walk by. He said, hey, Mike. Hey, it's, it's John. I've got myself in a situation down here. I can't, I can't get out. I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Can you give me a hand? And he said, well, sure. And he jumps down into the hole with him. He says, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Now we're both down here. Now we're both stuck. And he said, no, no, don't worry about that. He said, see, because I've been in this hole before, and I know how to get out. When you fall into a hole, it helps to know somebody who knows how to get out. Now, in the Bible, there's a word for falling into a hole. We call it the pit. Yeah, the pit. See, a pit is, is any experience into which you fall that you cannot get yourself out of. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what that's about? I mean, it's about moving into a season, an experience where no matter what you do, you feel in many ways just like swallowed up by fear and uncertainty and unpredictability. You, you get sometimes swallowed up by, by anxiety, maybe anger, and, and you can't get out. No matter what you do, you can't rescue yourself. And the pit is that experience when you come to the end of all of the tricks that worked before, and you realize, I need the help of someone else who knows how to get me out of this. You know, in many ways, it, it kind of feels like almost on like this global scale, we're in a kind of pit. Like we've gotten into this, this space in which we're unsure and unfamiliar not just on a national level with the pandemic and racial tensions and, and political upheaval and unrest and division, but I'm talking about even the thousands of unseen 
pits into which we all fall from time to time, sometimes even without being public, the private pit of relationship problems or a pit spiritually where you you seem to have fallen into this darkness and you can't seem to to get out or maybe you're in a pit vocationally and and no matter what you do you can't seem to find a path forward see this is why we're having this series of conversations this this series of sermons called liminal seasons because we've learned a new fun word, haven't we? Liminal, which comes from the Latin lemon, which means threshold. It's literally a crossing over of a threshold, like moving from one room to the next room, that little threshold that you have to step over. Liminal seasons are those seasons in which we feel like we are in the pit, where we've transitioned from everything that used to be familiar and predictable and controllable and normal, and now we've fallen into this space And we're not yet out of it, and we don't quite know how to find or navigate our way through. And yet here we are, in this pit, in need of rescue. The Bible is crammed with examples of how to navigate liminal seasons. It's filled with lessons on liminality. The whole thing is about how to navigate between the already and the not yet. And there are pits all through Scripture. One of the dominant themes to describe what it's like to live in the in-between space, to live between the already and the not yet, is the theme of pits in the Bible. Have you noticed them? Joseph is thrown into the bottom of a pit. Noah, although he's adrift at sea, is a pit experience where he comes to the end of what he can do and must be rescued by the God who can make the waters recede, right? Daniel in the lion's den is a pit experience. His three Hebrew friends in the fiery furnace is a pit experience. In the New Testament, Peter and Paul, every time they're thrown into the clink when they are in jail, it is a pit experience and they need rescue from it even jesus jesus the son of god descended into the very pit of the human experience of suffering and took on the sin and the brokenness and the shame of humanity until the father would resurrect him from the pit of death itself yeah see All through Scripture, there are these lessons about what can happen in the pit because in the Bible, the pit experience demonstrates for us, we who live so many years later, that we are connected to our ancient sisters and brothers because we too can only be transformed in some ways after going through the pit. There's a kind of transformation that can only come in the midst of pit seasons. But of all the ones that we could talk about today, the one that I think may be most provocative and maybe instructive for us is Jonah. Jonah. There was this teacher and this little girl who were in the conversation one time about whales, right? And the little girl was talking about uh, Jonah being swallowed by a whale. And the teacher said, it's actually impossible for a whale to swallow a full-size man, because even though the whale is large, right, the, the throat is small and can't do it. And she said, well, what about Jonah? And the teacher said, I'm telling you, 
it's impossible. The whale is big, the throat is small, the, the whale cannot swallow a full-grown man. And the little girl said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask Jonah when I get to heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Jonah about it. And the teacher said, well, what if he's not in heaven? What if, what if Jonah's in hell? And the little girl said, well, then, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> in the New Testament, the longest running reference that Jesus ever makes about the Old Testament is about Jonah. Now listen to what he says in the gospel according to Matthew. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, when asked to provide some kind of sign or image or some way for them to understand his whole point and why he's here and what he's come to accomplish, when he had the full Torah at his disposal, he spoke specifically of Jonah. He said, if you want to know what this is all about and why I'm here and what I'm up to, the sign of Jonah will tell you. And you remember what happened with Jonah. So God comes to Jonah, right? And he says to Jonah that he wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and proclaim repentance, to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh so that they may change in their wicked ways. And Jonah refuses to do it. He can't imagine doing that because Nineveh is the capital city of the very empire that has been oppressing Jonah and Jonah's people for ages. I mean, Nineveh represents kind of like the, the epicenter, the very the, the core, ground zero of all the systemic injustices that have been pressed down upon the people that Jonah calls his own. And he knows what God's asking him to do. And he knows what God's going to do if they repent. If they repent and turn from their ways, God's going to love them. And Jonah can't find space in his heart or his head, to imagine God loving his enemies the same way that God loves him. See, a lot of times we think that Jonah is somehow a story about a fish. And, and there's a character in there. The fish is a character. But out of the 48 verses of the book of Jonah, only three even mention the fish. Something going on deeper in the sign of Jonah. So you know what happens next. God calls him to go and preach, and he says, not going to do it. So he hops on this boat, and he goes, he hops on this boat in Joppa and goes down like in the opposite direction, complete opposite direction of Nineveh. You cannot run in any direction further away from where God was calling him than, 
than where he was headed. He jumps on this boat, he heads away, and you know what happens. The storm comes, the crew gets nervous, they start crying out to all their gods, and they're like, why is this happening to us? What's, what's the deal? They find out that it's because of Jonah and his rebellion, so they throw him overboard, God appoints a fish to swallow him, and he throws him up on the beach where he's supposed to go in the first place, and it's really kind of comical there. He walks into the heart of the city and he begins to preach and he barely gets like three words out of his mouth and the whole city repents. Everyone from, from royalty all the way down to the peasants, even farm animals. I mean, read it for yourself. Even farm animals, they're, they're repenting in dust and ashes and everything turns around and Jonah is just bummed about it. He's like, I told you this is gonna happen, right? But we think that the story is about this fish when it's not. It's about something going on in the heart and the mind of Jonah that must always be transformed. And the thing is, your head and your heart, just like my head and my heart, are the head and heart of Jonah. We are constantly being confronted by a God who refuses to hate the same people we hate. And God is constantly loving the very people that we, we just wish would just disappear. I mean, think for yourself for just a moment about the very people who embody all the opinions that you disagree with, all of the positions in this world that you, you just cannot figure the life of you understand why they would espouse these positions, people who represent whole ways of living that you just despise, and that right now, God loves them with the equal passion with which God loves you. And that ought to create some stir in the head and heart because it did with Jonah. But what happens in the belly of that beast, the fish, is I think instructive for you and for me today because Jonah experienced a level of transformation that could only happen after having been swallowed by his hate, swallowed by his pride, swallowed by his xenophobia, his fear of the one who was different, swallowed by his own preconceived assumptions about how God ought to work and who, who God ought to love. And until he is swallowed into the belly of the beast, he never confronts the parts of his life that have to be transformed. I want you to notice for just a minute, when you read Jonah, I hope you read it later today, it's just 48 verses, that's it. And you can read it in, in just one sitting. But I hope you notice that the dominant direction in Jonah is down. The dominant directional trajectory is down. So he goes down to Joppa, gets down into a boat, goes down into the hold of the boat, the belly of that boat, and falls asleep, he goes down into a deep sleep, not just a twilight sleep, not, not just a nap. He goes down into stage one sleep, stage two, three, the fourth stage, that rim state sleep, that rapid eye movement stage of sleep where dreams are vivid and you can, you can really remember with vivid clarity the things that you see that you can't all otherwise see when you're walking and awake. He goes down, down, down into the sleep. And now the rains and the storm begin to come down and beat against this, this, this boat, which, by the way, has echoes of other New Testament stories, doesn't it, of Jesus being asleep in the, in the, the stern of a boat when another storm comes, right? Remember this? And anyway, the captain now is nervous, and so he goes down to meet Jonah, and he, he asks, hey, 
what's going down here? <laughs> and Jonah says, I'll tell you what it is. It's me. I'm running. So you're probably your best bet is to throw me down into the sea. So they throw him down into the sea. And this fish is appointed by God and swallows him down into the belly of that beast. But the downward momentum doesn't stop there because it's after he goes down at the very bottom of the pit that he realizes that he needs to descend from his his crooked way of thinking, that he needs to descend from all of his logical, rational reasons why he should hate these people and why he should push away these people and how he, he thinks God ought to behave, that he has to descend out of his mind where he recognizes, I am out of ideas. I am out of ways to get out of this thing. I tried to think of every kind of way to escape what God is wanting me to do, which is open up my life to love more freely those God has has made. And so he has to descend out of his head into his heart. I love what my good friend, and you know him, David Harding, our Ethiopian connection there, our friend in Ethiopia, he said, that's the momentum that we all must make, right? This, this momentum from, or this direction from moving out of our head into the heart. Because see, that's where God abides and is trying to be heard by us, trying to be seen by us, because only after we descend into the pit where we have no quick, easy answers, any fast solutions out of our problem, only when we come to the end of what we have to offer Can we come to a place where we are transformed by the God who's been waiting on us to show up all along? Is God drawing you down into this pit season? And believe me, it feels like the pits, doesn't it? I mean, it it can feel like the pits, like there is no joy. Flavors have lost their taste. Sight, color, sounds don't do anything. The sermons don't move me. The music doesn't move me. I'm down into the belly of this kind of dark night like we talked about last week. Is it possible that this pit in which you may find yourself spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, may be the invitation of God to meet you and to transform you because now there is a vulnerability in you that God was waiting for to show up. With Jonah, it happened. See, after the belly of the beast, there's this beautiful prayer in the book of Jonah, and it it begins in chapter 2 of that book. Listen to his prayer after having gone down into the belly of the beast. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Sometimes the best prayers are the prayers that come from the the belly of the beast, right? He prayed from the belly of this, this fish saying, I called to the Lord out in my distress or out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol is that that ancient way of thinking about death and the afterworld and the shadow lands of what happens when we die here. In fact, there's a, a root in the Hebrew word for Sheol that is sharing a root for the word, uh, uh, the word is bore, which means to, to drill down, to go down to this bottomless sinking. That's the image of Sheol. And here he cries out from this bottomless Sheol, the sinking. And you heard my voice. 
You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. And, and see if this doesn't feel like a prayer that you recognize. The waters closed in over me and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, which means in Nineveh, I guess they must have had COVID-19 because the bars were closed forever. And yet, yet you, you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit. There is, there is a bringing up out the pit, but you can't bring yourself up. And we as a people can simply bring ourselves up. We are brought up out of the pit in which we find ourselves only when we humble ourselves to recognize there is one who can bring us up. And Jonah continues, Lord, my God, as my life was ebbing away. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Beloved, there is a kind of transformation that can only be found in the belly of the beast. Can I just get you to think for a moment about how, how natural it is to want to resist every kind of darkness, every kind of pit, every kind of wilderness like we talked about last time, how natural it is to try to avoid every kind of liminal season because, man, it felt so much more normal yesterday and I don't know where I am today. And yet, there's a kind of transformation that can only be found or experienced in the belly of the beast. So my question to you is the same question that I ask myself, in what belly of what beast is God wanting to transform you? In what belly of what beast is God wanting to transform you? Is the belly that you're experiencing, is the, the, the pit that you're experiencing, is it related to COVID? I mean, is it related to, to a loss of work or maybe a fear of a loss of business or maybe related to school now that we know that some counties are closed down and some have a hybrid way forward? There's this kind of pit fear about what this all means. Is it related to COVID? Or does it have nothing to do with that at all? Is it possible that the, that the belly of the beast that you must be drawn down into is, is something that has been in you for a long time? Is it possible that it's a way of thinking, a, a way of seeing? Is it possible that it's a way of interpreting life and doing life with those who are around you is there something that must change and the only way it can change is for God to draw you into the pit for a hot minute? Yeah. Do you know it's been said that the pit or the threshold, the liminal seasons that we're all talking about here, it's like a waiting room. 
It's like a waiting room at the hospital. Because when you're in the waiting room, you wait patiently, vulnerably, open for, a, for an appointment with a doctor or a specialist, right? I know something about waiting rooms. So I've never told this story at all, ever, really. But I grew up in a lot of waiting rooms. You've heard me talk a little bit about my brother from the time he was born after the first couple of hours of his birth until his premature death at the age of 25. He was always sick. He was always at the hospital, which meant that we spent a lot of time in waiting rooms. All kinds of waiting rooms, really. I mean, doctor's office waiting rooms and emergency room waiting rooms and hospital waiting rooms of, of every variety. But there's one that I remember, and if I close my eyes, I, I can smell it. I can see it. I spent so much time as a small child and I'm, I'm thinking about the ages of five, six, seven years old. And there is this one emergency room at Erlanger Medical Center in the, children, the old children's wing where you, you walked up to the entrance and the doors were automatic. But they weren't automatic like they are automatic today. They, don't have, they didn't have infrared sensors that opened automatically when it sensed that you were coming. It had this rubber mat. You remember those? And you had to stand on the mat. You stepped on this mat, this rubber mat, and then the doors would open up. And inside, out of the, out of the, the doors that, that swished open, there was this wafting smell of sanitized, sterile environments. It's the hospital smell that every time I walk into a hospital of these days, it smells as if I'm walking into that very same Space, But over to the left, after you walked in these doors, I stepped in and literally over a threshold, a lemon threshold into this space. And in this waiting room, it was really cool because it had a, a closed circuit camera. And if your brother or sister was in a hospital room and you couldn't go, I mean, you could stay there in the waiting room and they could turn it on channel 18 and on that black and white television, they could see you silently waving from the waiting room. The waiting room was interesting because it had these chairs which had fabric that I can still feel upon my skin. And underneath one of the chairs, there was a box of toys I played with that box of toys so many times that I actually thought that they belonged to me. I struggled to let other kids who were there visiting the waiting room even play with the toys because I kind of assumed they belonged to me. There were these books. And I read these books so many times that I had worn out some of the pages, dog-eared some of my favorite parts. And there was this other book there. It, it was hardback. And I had trouble with a lot of the words inside that book. But it had some pictures. And, and I didn't understand everything that was written inside the book. But every time I was there, I would hold it and read it. Because something just, something felt different about holding that book. And looking at those pictures. And Later, I would learn that that book was placed there by a group of people called the Gideons. 
Every time I was in the waiting room, it was a space of great fear. You don't remember, you don't forget that kind of environment. You don't forget that kind of fear and uncertainty. Would this be the visit where he died? Would this be something I could catch? You're just a kid, right, thinking it. And there was uncertainty and fear and, and worry just palpable in the room. And, and yet I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, that there was something else I felt in that room. And sometimes it happened when I held that book, the hardback that was placed by a group of men called the Gideons. And sometimes it just happened because I felt a presence and in those days, that felt like a pit. I began a relationship with God. I can't explain it to you. There are really no words that are adequate to describe what I'm talking about, but I began to hear God's voice, not audibly. That's not how God does it. But I began to wake up to a presence, a presence that it was strange, but as scared as I was on some of those days, I felt a growing presence in me and, and surrounding me. And later I would memorize ways to describe it. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. But at the time I couldn't articulate it. I just felt there was something there with me. And I didn't want to be there. Who does? Who wants to be in a waiting room, especially a kid? And so every time that the visit was over, we would step on the mat again, that rubber mat, and the doors would open up and there would be bright sunlight and the the smells would be more natural and so much more welcomed. And I I remember every time as as I left that space, crossing back over the threshold, looking back, seeing the doors close, and being grateful that I'm not in there anymore. It's a scary place. I don't want to be there. And yet, here, these many decades later, I'm telling you, something started there that won't quit. And every other pit that I've experienced since has proven the same truth. Jesus said, you need no other sign but the sign of Jonah. And that's true. Because sometimes if you allow yourself to be swallowed down into the belly of the beast, you'll find that you've come to the end of yourself. And the end of you is the beginning of God. Maybe you're hearing some things that I'm saying. And you realize just from an intuitive kind of position, instinctively you know you've come to the end of yourself. Maybe you don't have the language to wrap around it or the reference point to understand what's happening in or around you, but you feel it and you don't like it. And I'm telling you, I get it. But it's possible that this feeling of coming to the end of yourself means that you are the beginning of something that will change everything forever. So maybe you should pray a prayer like this. I mean, right where you're sitting, maybe your prayer should sound something like this. God, I am out. I'm done. I've got no more ways to attempt to rescue myself. I'm not going to run from you anymore. 
I'm not going to try to pretend like I can get myself out of this pit because I can't. But I recognize you can. Or at least I've heard you can, and I'm willing to let you prove that to me. So here I am. I humble myself. I confess my need for you. And I'm yours if you will lift me out of what feels like a bottomless pit. If you pray that way, our Lord will lift you in the timing that God sees best and most fit for your life. God will lift you. Even already, God is beginning the lifting of your head. But it begins with confession. So Lord, I I pray this and I submit myself before you in the name of Christ, the one who's lifted me. So if you've prayed that prayer, If you're praying something like that these days, I want you to know that that matters. And I want you to know that if you do pray like that, you need to say something to somebody. Tell somebody that you're beginning a conversation that maybe you've never begun before. And if you would tell me, I'd love to know it. I want to know how I can pray for you in this pit season in which you find yourself. So email me. And the, the, the email is very simple at sking at jcbc.org. And let me know how I can pray as you wait in the great liminal threshold waiting room of your life for your divine appointment with a great physician. Wherever it is you go from this place, though, from this moment of worship, my prayer is that Christ would go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right, Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you There is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence, removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with His. Amen.